Hi, and welcome to Five Compelling Questions with Sean. This is the podcast where we talk to writers about writing and the creative process and publishing and how they got their starts and all those kinds of things. And I'm very excited today to have um, an author I've looked up to for a very long time on the podcast. And it is Clea Simon. Hi, Clea. Hi, Sean. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for being here. How are you doing today? I am doing very well. Good. You know, you just came off of a live event and, when I'm, and I think everyone's going to be super jealous about that because we haven't been able to go, go do live events. And you just oh got my back. God. It, it was so great to go to a conference and, and see at least the top half of people's faces. <laughs> yeah. The mask, the mask uh, rebellion. Well, that's cool. So where were you? It was New England Crime Bake, which is annual, though last year it was, you know, like everything else virtual. And this year they're doing this. They're being quite smart. They're doing half, uh, half live, half hybrid. So the hybrid is still ongoing. But to go in person and to be on a panel and on the panel, we sat spaced apart and we took our masks off and we spoke and, you know, we could see people and we could hug them and, and just have those impromptu chats that I missed so much that, you know, no offense, but you don't have those on Zoom. You have yeah. to plan those. And this is like, oh, look over there. It's Dana. Oh, it's, it's Leslie. Yeah. Yeah. There's no wandering over and having a cocktail with someone that maybe you were working up your nerve to meet, you know, on Zoom or whatever, like an agent. Yeah. So yeah, it's cool. It's cool, just cool to be in society, you know? Yeah. But the nice a little weird. Is, yeah. A lot of people, but you know, I'll get used to it again. <laughs> yeah. I guess it would be weird. It's like, you know, re re-immersion like into the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's a good point about the virtual because we've learned too at Malice, people really like at least to have that option. Because mm -hmm. even before the pandemic, we've had people that just can't, you know, they can't travel for whatever reason or- They can't travel, it's expensive, it takes time. Mm -hmm. If You know, if you're differently abled, it can be difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's really nice to have the option, but- Yeah, and then some people would have like something on Friday and they didn't want to come just for half a day, you know, so they can just do part of it or all of it. Because if you're just home, you can see it all. So we're, we're I think all the cons are going to be thinking about that, you know, having a virtual component going forward, just because it is nice to have that option. And also because you can record it, then people can like see things afterwards, which is the best. That is the best. Cause yeah, that we're, it's always when you're at Bachelor kind of like, how am I going to go see three of my friends are on opposing panels mm -hmm. and I can't see them all. I could try and you don't want to leave because they don't know your plans of going to see other people like, oh, they just hated my panel. They're leaving. <laughs> so you have to sort of like Sophie's choice your way through the conventions. <laughs> yes. Well, I don't feel like you need an introduction, but I should probably introduce you so people that are listening can latch onto who you are if they, for some weird reason, haven't heard of you already. Um, so Clea Simon. Clea, that's a cool name too. I was thinking of Cleopatra. Although I know it's not spelled the same way. Um, before turning to a life of crime fiction, Clea Simon was a journalist. Starting as a rock critic, she ended up writing about books and other arts. A native of New York, she came to Massachusetts to attend Harvard University, from which she graduated with high honors and never left. So um, feeling, feeling not the greatest, smartest person right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're never, you never seem like you're very super like condescending about your intelligence, but we, know, we all know you have it. You're very down to earth. Um, the author of three nonfiction books, and um, we had to update the Google, Google Maps of your life, which said seven mysteries. It is now... 29 yeah mm -hmm. 29 mysteries she lives with her husband the writer john s gerlich and their cats Disby. still up there in, in uh, massachusetts she is the author of, of 
three previous Witch Cats of Cambridge Mysteries. Um, and she's a regular contributor to the Boston Globe and her writing pops up occasionally um, in such publications as American Prospect, Ms. Magazine, San Francisco Chronicle and Salon.com. So you're no slouch. And we're gonna talk about um, today your most recent book, which is not part of that series, but it's called Hold You Down. Hold me down, sorry. I wrote hold you down. I know what I know it's hold me down. Hold me hold down. Me down. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna hold you down until I get this right. It's hold me down. <laughs> hold me down. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit about hold me down. Uh, thanks. Thanks for that lovely introduction. Um, hold me down is a standalone novel of psychological suspense. And it opens on Gal, who's a, a woman of a certain age, but 20 years ago she was a rock star for like a hot minute. Um, and before everything fell apart. But when we meet her, she's back in town, in town being Boston, uh, where the band started to uh, play a memorial for her, her best friend and, and late drummer, Amy, um, and who died of natural causes. But during the show, Gal looks out at the audience and she sees somebody. And it, for a moment, it, it sort of shocks her, throws her back into the past. And the next day when she hears that that person has died under mysterious circumstances, you know, she's, she's freaked out. But then what's worse is that Amy's widower, Walter, is charged with killing him, charged with murder, manslaughter. Um, and he doesn't seem to be willing to defend himself. So Gal, who for various reasons felt like perhaps she failed Amy, failed some of her friends, uh, rushes to defend Walter because, she, I mean, she came to town to do this benefit for Walter and, and their grown daughter, Camille. And um, in the process of figuring out what happened, she has to revisit her own wild and crazy days as a rock star. And so the mystery is not only what's the truth behind that murder, but how did Gal get from the shy young songwriter we meet to the you know totally out of control over the top rock star to the um, mature woman who we meet at the beginning of the book? Yeah, well, that's awesome. It's, and it's, I've read the book and it's really, really good. Thank and you. everyone should run out and get it immediately because well, it really appealed to me because I always wanted to be a rock star. That was my who doesn't choice. <laughs> I was like, "That'll be the good. I'll just do that." Um, but I was a violinist, and that was much more nerdy than being a rock star. So I didn't get to do that. But I got to be, you know. And I also loved writing, so I got to do writing. So you got to you worked in in journalism covering this this world. So is that how you got your inspiration for this? Uh, yes, or? it certainly is a lot of it. I and I also played in bands. Um, and in, in a way, of course, the rock world is, you know, if, if, if I was doing a cozy, it's sort of the same as an English village. It's this very self-contained little world where everybody knows each other and the players just keep, you know, rubbing us cheek by jowl, rubbing, running into each other. But it has the added advantage of being rock and roll, which, you know, to me is fun. And I like to think that the book will appeal to people who have some experience of that world. But also, of course, you know, if you have no experience of that world, but you're always been curious, this is a way to experience that world without dealing with the, you know, the late hours and the cigarette smoke and the sticky floors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but so in addition to having all the elements of a, of a cozy mystery, the sort of self-contained world, you also have this world where everybody is thrown together, you know, with, you know, with drugs, with alcohol, uh, with high pressure situations, especially once the band makes it and begins to go out on the road, you've got an industry that you know, monetizes the dysfunction, shall we say, because it's in their best interest to have uh, musicians, especially 
women musicians, you know, be a little wild and be a little crazy and out of control. So it's it's all the elements that make up a traditional mystery plus the added oomph of, of rock and roll. So to me, it was an obvious place to set a mystery. Oh yeah, for sure. It is, and that's such a cool way to think about it, like a contained world. And it is, you know, because and the, the the talk about dysfunction, it's, you know, because I'm a, I'm a rock and roll girl, loved rock and roll my whole life, grew up with it, you know, and uh, there's so many bands that just disintegrated or that had so, mm -hmm. so many fights. And I was fascinated by like siblings and bands that could never get along and stuff. So the Gallagher like, well, is the, uh, yeah. the, the, the brothers from um, 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 uh, Ray and... Um, well, the Kinks, they hate each other. The Kinks, yes, thank you. Yeah. And then um, Oasis, they can't stand each the side of each other. Either. Yeah, the Gallagher's can't stand each other. Yeah, or the Wilson brothers from the Beach Boys. Yeah. And then I um, just heard more recently that the Wilson sisters had a big thing. Oh them. no, not hard. Yeah, I think they're trying to work it out because you know they're ladies and they will try to work it out because that's what we do. But they women um, are tough. Yeah, it was. But I, you know what it was? Somebody they, one of them married somebody that came in and tried to mess things around and change stuff, and that was sort of like. But you see, that's the other thing. You have a nice self-contained little world like a, a, a rock scene or a band and outsiders come in, they can disrupt everything. Okay. But I'm, I'm glad you brought up Heart because the, the women in rock, I mean, this, there are elements that I took from a lot of, of real life women. And I am, I am lucky enough to know some women who were in their time quite, quite big in the scene and, now, and they survived it. But they were willing to share some stories for me. And some of them are thanked in the acknowledgments and some of them asked not to be in it because, you know, they told me some stories about life on the road. Yeah, harrowing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, my well, my best friend always used to have a t-shirt that said, what would Joan Jett do? So, you know, where we're coming from. Yes. <laughs> she's well, she's from she's a Marylander. So we're all we're very protective of Joan Jett. We love Joan Jett. I and love Joan she, Jett. Yeah, she made it through. But it was tough. I mean, there's just, you know, but I will she sit on the couch. on serious ass. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I wouldn't want her to be mad at me, even though she's like five, four foot seven or something. She's this tiny Doesn't little matter. thing. Yeah, she'll kill you. But um, she's awesome. But yeah, I'll sit on a Sunday and just read. I like I love reading um biograph biographies of uh rock you know rock musicians and chefs and musicians are my and then chefs are kind of rock stars here and there. You know, it's a different thing, but they 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 think of themselves as rock stars. So. Well, there are a lot of similarities. Yeah, it's, so it's that's a very sensual, crazy world. Yeah, you you will never if you write rock star mysteries for the rest of your career, you'll never run out of things to write about because there's just so many true. <laughs> elements and feuds and you know the not even getting into like the how the industry tries to control the musicians, control the art, you know, control their voices and steal yep. their music from them, steal their catalogs and never pay them and the whole Motown thing that happened when they just say, oh, here's here's seventy five dollars and we're never going to pay you again kind of stuff that happened back in the day but and we'll put ourselves on as a co-writer so that we get any royalties yeah oh yes for sure i will dress up in my joan jet stuff and we can go out on tour awesome <laughs> yeah well i should probably get to the actual questions of the, of the sure. day you know i've already asked you like 17. um how did well, you've written so many books and you've written a, a variety of you know journalism genre stuff and mystery and harder edge things and cozies and traditional how did your writing career get started from the beginning? Well, I, I, always, I always wrote. I mean, from the time when I first learned how to write, I was making up stories. But somewhere along the line, and you, you mentioned Harvard, Harvard has a tendency to, to actually dampen uh, your goals because everybody else is so much better than you, you know? <laughs> um, that I realized, I, I thought I, went, I wanted to go into publishing 
but I really, really wanted to write. And I did some internships in publishing and just being on that side of it wasn't, wasn't as satisfying. So I went into journalism and, um, and because journalism I could write and I, I got paid. And also there was the sense, um, Sean, that it wasn't about my writing. I was giving people information. And so I didn't have to worry about whether or not my writing had value. So I did that for a long time. And I actually started doing music criticism. I, I'd been a fan. I'd done like music criticism in you know, my high school newspaper and stuff like that. But a friend of mine got me into it. We were both writing for this small local weekly paper. And she wanted to start a local music column. Only she didn't want to write it every week. And the editor said, well, if you're going to do a column, you've got to do it every week. And she reached over. And I, had, I think I had just met her. And she said, well, Cleo will write it on the other weeks. I went, huh? And she said, don't worry. We'll, we'll talk about it later. So she got me started writing. So I did music criticism and I was just doing, you know, all sorts of straight journalism, um, freelance, um, working for a bunch of local local papers for a while. Um, but, and I think it was, yes, it was when I was, I was finally at the Boston Globe and I was working as an editor there because that was the staff job I could get. Um, but I used to hang out all the time at this uh, indie bookstore called Kate's Mystery Books that was uh, in Cambridge. And I became good friends with the owners, Kate, Kate Mattis. Um, and I had a, my last nonfiction book, which was The Feline Mystique on the mysterious connection between women and cats uh, was coming out. And Kate would have a party every year. And her, her party, it was, it was amazing. I mean, this was in the days Robert Parker was here. You know, uh, everybody would come. The, the, the store was in this little house. And even though it was New England in late December, people would be, it would be so packed, there'd be people out on the, the lawn. I mean, it would be so packed that if you showed up late, like she'd have piles of your books um, and you'd, she'd say, oh, your books are over in the corner. You wouldn't even get back there. You know, it, it would be too crowded and you'd get in a conversation and if people wanted you to sign their books that they could find you. Um, so this party was coming around again and she said, Clea, you should, you should come and sign the feline mystique at, at the bookstore. And I said, well, Kate, it's, it's not a mystery. And she said, believe it or not, Clea, there's a big overlap between women who love cats and mystery readers. Mm -hmm. So... I, you know, she ordered some and I got there and I, I forget if I even got back to the pile or if I was just chatting with people all night long. And at the end, you know, we were drinking a lot of wine. We we're all helping clean up. And she looked at me and she said, you should write a mystery. And it was like, she gave me permission. <laughs> I think it really was that thing where when I was doing journalism, I knew that I was giving people information. So that was the intrinsic value in what I wrote, but having somebody tell me that I could just write fiction, it was like, oh, maybe the writing alone is enough. Mm -hmm. So that, and that, that became my first book. I started the next day. It was Mew is for Murder. It came out in 2005. Um, and I've been doing fiction ever since. So it was really Kate who gave me permission. Good Lord. You've written all those books only since 2005. That's amazing. Yes. For a while, I had a contract that it insisted with Severn House that insisted on two books a year. Oh wow! Well, yeah, that's rack up. that would rack up fast. That must be that was that must have been very hard to keep up with those deadlines. I mean, I I had a similar one when I was doing mine, but I didn't do twenty nine. <laughs> I did seven. Well, it's good training, and having been a journalist, it's like you know, how long does it take you to write something? It's like, well, when's the deadline? That's true. You do <laughs> this whole year. Yeah, uh, people that are, have been journalists are usually really very, very good with deadlines and writing fast and write because yeah. they, they put the fear of God, or or actually even worse, the fear of not getting paid. Yeah, because it literally pay pay to play, kind of you know pay for your sing for your supper, you know. Yeah, yeah, you got to produce, so so yeah. you do, you know. That's awesome. Well, cool. That's a really cool story, and the fact that you were at a party just for fun and having a great time, and then that that sort of inspired you to move forward. And what it what a gift that was from 
from Kate. It really was. She was a wonderful woman. Well, a gift to all of us. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. <laughs> and I think I had heard of that store a long time ago. Um, so if, if kind of going along with that, if you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would it be? Um, it's so obvious, but believe in yourself and, and really, really push through because doing journalism was a really good experience for me, but in retrospect, it also was all these years that I didn't really believe in myself and, and I spent it doing something else. I mean, I could have been writing fiction earlier. I had written fiction as a child. You know, I have, I have, you know, my mother saved some of my earliest stories and they were fun and I loved them and I loved creating new worlds for myself, but you know, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't believe in myself. And of course, the other thing is, is that you have to do it. Having a dream is great, but you know, apply butt to seat, hands yeah. to keyboards, just, just do it. So yeah, I'm stealing from Nike there. <laughs> believe in yourself, but just do it. Yeah. But sometimes the more, the, the, the more obvious things that we all sort of think it's, those are the most important ones. I mean, if you said it's obvious, but it is, it, it's hard to believe in yourself depending on your, you know, how you were raised, your background. I think sometimes your gender, because I think women sometimes are like, maybe, am I going to be good enough for this? I'm not sure. I'm not a man. You know, I always have, there's a, a comedian that came out and said, well, I'm a man. And I can't wait to wake up and everyone's going to pay attention to everything I say and believe all the stuff I say, <laughs> you know, they're just kind of raised. This is so true. Yeah. I, it's I'm, imposter I, syndrome. Yeah. 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 It's imposter syndrome. Um, but I, you know, there are men that struggle with that too, I'm sure, but it's interesting. That's very good advice to, um, and then, you know, I was trying to say like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen, you know, total rejection and failure. Of course that's good. That could happen, but it's really good. If you just keep trying and not like get defeated by that first time you, someone tells you no, yeah. um, get past that and just get over it and try again. And usually you'll get there. If, if you, yeah. And, and writers, you, you always get rejected as a writer. I mean, oh, yeah. it's like, you know, applying for a new job every year. And um, you just, you just have to, you just have to believe in yourself. I mean, that goes back to, it's like, you think, okay, you can either think that other person is right and I'm an utter failure and I have no talent, or you can think, well, that wasn't the right person for this book. Exactly. And, you know, sometimes it's that they, they've just taken another book that's just like yours or a similar, they can't have two competing books that doesn't make any sense for them for a business. You know, can't have... Yeah which rock and roll book are we going to talk about today? They don't want to, they don't really want to do that. And it's unfortunate if your, your timing isn't right, or they just are done for the year and they can't, they don't have any more, more money to acquire things. So it's, you can't ever make it seem like it's totally hundred percent your fault that you didn't get chosen. And, and you just have to press on and do something different, try somewhere else. I mean, yeah, there are a lot more avenues these days than they used to be too. Yeah, no, that's very true. And it, it, it is hard and it, it's, it's hard emotionally. So mm -hmm. maybe it took me that long to get that toughest skin. Yeah, but um, you know, if if I could tell a younger writer, I would just be like, just just keep going, just believe yeah, in yourself. For sure. Yeah, and toughened up my skin when being in New York City working as a salesperson. I'll <laughs> do it. Like, get out of my office right now. Do never call me again. Oh, okay, sorry, I won't call you again. But it does. Right when I there's a rejection that happens in writing, you know, I would give myself like a day to just be like, well, you know, and maybe have an extra glass of wine or or seven, you know, that night, and then be fine the next and move on to the next thing. You just got to move on to the next thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's like dating. There's always somebody else. Somebody yes. will love you. So um, next question. When did you first realize that words have power, that something you wrote had an impact on someone or a situation? Um, I think I have a couple of answers to that. And I think it starts again with my childhood in that 
I had, I've written about it elsewhere, so I'm not gonna get into it, but in many ways I had a really um, a disrupted, unhappy home. Um, and so for me, books were always an escape. And, you know, I was a, a total bookworm. And, you know, the, the ideal thing would be to take a book out into the woods behind our house and just stay out there till dark, you know? And that, you know, at that point I was a slow enough reader, so that would work. These days I probably take three books. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, am, I wish I wasn't such a fast reader. It, it, it got to the point where my husband would bring home books based on their size for me. Uh, but, but so I knew that books were, um, books were vital to me. Uh, they, they, were, they were another place. So when I started writing stories, that was a revelation. It was like, oh, I can, I can do these stories myself and sharing them with friends. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, being a kid and sharing them with friends. And that was just wonderful. And then of course, you know, moving forward, even I guess journalism did serve a purpose because I really could get information out to people. Like one of the first news stories I was on, and this is, this is dating myself, which is always a fun thing to do. Um, when I was at that, um, that Cambridge Weekly, because I did have the Harvard connection, uh, the editor asked me to sort of follow up on any press releases or news coming out of the various Harvard schools. Harvard Medical School was starting to report on this um, weird syndrome they were seeing. And um, it, it seemed to, it was, they couldn't even figure out, it would seem to be affecting the entire body, but especially the immune system. And they called it GRIDS, Gay-Related Immune Deficiency Syndrome. Mm. So that was some of the first reporting on AIDS. Wow. And I was on that story and I got to, I got to tell people about that. I got to spread that information. Um, and then on the flip side, being a critic, it, it, there's so much power there. I mean, being a critic is more than thumbs up, thumbs down. It's you, you wanna explain to people why something's good. You wanna tell, you wanna let them in on, you know, where a musician is coming from and what the roots are. It's sort of like, well, if you like this, uh, this kink song, you might wanna look into this, this blues song from this artist who you never heard of. Um, and, and this is, you, you think you like this hook, well, this is why, this is the chord progression that's happening here. And this is what turns it into an earworm. Um, and so again, in that way, it's using words to give people information that sort of makes their world bigger. And since then writing fiction, if I can give people a place to escape to, uh, you know, maybe they're not in as much distress as I was as a child, but still, if I can give somebody a couple of hours of escape and let them into another world, and either, you know, either something light and cozy or something sort of, you know, dark and involving, like I hope hold me down is, you know, th then I've, then I've done them a service. And it's, it's a service that I know well, because it's what I needed and what I used and to some extent, what I still use, even though my life is much happier now. I give people, you know, the gift of a, of another small world. Absolutely. Well, those are all, those are amazing. That was an amazing answer. And it was all, all dovetailed together. I can go on. Yeah. Well, we have similar childhoods because I was the same and I would, you know, we just, it was chaotic and, you know, loud and stuff. So just sitting in my room with a, with a Stephen King book or just, just writing out lyrics of songs, you know, that's mm -hmm. why I would spend time. I would spend time on just writing out Beatles lyrics or whatever lyrics I was, you know, into that week or whatever. And just like studying the words and seeing why they meant so much to me, I guess. But those like moments, those pockets of quiet escape were, you know, turned us into who we are today. Yeah. And um, also when you, the, you know, people are like, oh, that sounds sad, but it's like, it actually makes you really resilient. <laughs> Going yes. back to the rejection thing. It's like, oh, okay. Well, that's not that, that's not as bad as other stuff I've been through. So it's nobody's yelling. I'm in no physical danger. I can deal right. with this. No one's screaming at me for getting a B in whatever class. 
So, you know, so it's good. You can, you know, it's all good. That's good. Well, those are, those are really, and I never thought about criticism that way. Um, it makes total sense because, you know, sometimes you, as a person that's being criticized or critiqued, it's like, oh, this person's really into their own opinion very much, but it, it's, they're, you're discussing art and it was so cool how you just, it, you know, sort of like, let me know that, you know, it is, it's a conversation starter and it's, it's a discussion of, it's an intellectual discussion of art, which is very interesting. It's a conversation starter. That's very apt. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's opening up. Well, you know, let's bring all these other things in. If we're talking about the act of creating that's, that's it. Exactly. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, for, for sure. I did hear one author tell me a very well published author. She said that um, the best, the books that are read the most are the ones that have a lot of really good reviews, a lot of not really good reviews and uh, a few in the middle, but because people want to know what they think they're gonna like which one which side am I gonna be on am I gonna really love this or not love this so yeah like it's not great to have like all five-star reviews because people really want to you know they want to see what they think and that's kind yeah. of the human I guess it's human nature but you're so smart oh my gosh I'm so oh, happy you're on my show I can't believe it I'm so happy to be here thank you <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you said we could write something I'm like oh my god I just like left my body for a minute because one of the one of the one of the coolest moments in my writing life is I went to my local library here and my books are shelved right next to your books in our Yay. library. I know. Simon, like, Simon, yes. I know. It's like, I know her. <laughs> and my oh, I can't wait. I, I'm, I'm loving talking to you and seeing your face, but I can't wait till we can meet in person again. I know. Yeah. Because we, we definitely need to hang out. We, you know, we will. We will in the spring because malice, yes. malice is yes, happening. Malice. I mean, if I'm there with four people, it's going to happen. I'm, <laughs> no, it'll be. It's gonna I'll be, be there. Fine. I'll be there. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We're all, we're all, we're all jabbed up. So next question, how do you develop the voices of your characters? This is going to be interesting to hear that your answer for, I mean, all your answers are wonderful. How do you develop the voices of your characters? Do you keep a Bible or use some other method to bring your characters to life for your readers? Um, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I do keep a Bible for the series because that goes book after book. And sometimes there are months between writing, you know, like I'm waiting to hear about a fourth witch cat book now. Um, and, you know, I, I, oh, I, learned, I learned the hard way to keep a Bible. I wrote the Dulcie Schwartz mysteries for Severn House. I wrote 10 of them. And around book nine, I wanted to refer to another character. And I, I knew his last name, but I couldn't find his first name. And oh my God, I could not find, and I knew that if I got it wrong, that some reader would say, wait a minute, his first name was Seth, you know, it wasn't, you know, Scott in the first, and I could not find it. I could not find it. So yes, keep a Bible. If you're doing series, keep a Bible. Um, with, with Hold Me Down, because it's a standalone, it was different. Um, Gal really came to me. Gal is, well, I mean, you know this, when you write all the characters are you, even the bad guys, because they have to be, you know, there has to be something real so that people can, you know, maybe you don't sympathize with them, but you relate to them and you understand them. Um, you know, maybe it would be different if you're writing serial killers, but that I, I don't do. Um, so they're all parts of me, but Gal in particular uh, went through stuff that I went through. And so her voice is, just a slightly, mm, like I just, I just, you know, you know, ramped up the volume as the song goes a little bit for her. And that actually played out really well for me in terms of the plot and character development, because in, you know, as, as I said in, in, when I was talking about the, how the story of Hold Me Down, she's not only solving the, the murder mystery, she's solving, she's looking back and, and, and 
you know, sort of un, unwittingly solving the mystery of who she is for the reader. She's showing who she is. And we see everything she's gone through. And so at one point in the book, when I thought I had like my big reveal, I realized, no, actually there's something else that's bothering her. And that came from um, sort of, again, from my own experience, but translated to Gal because Gal and her friends, some, something slightly different happens. But I realized that it would be the natural progression of how I felt. Um, you know, it's just that, you know, she was in slightly different circumstances. So Gal is, is sort of, you know, me, but, you know, but ramped up with brighter lights and, you know, tighter leather jeans. Uh, <laughs> and the, the other characters, again, they're, they're all just sort of parts of me. Um, you know, Walter is understandably depressed. He's grieving, um, but he's also just dealing with some other issues. Um, and the daughter is, uh, she's in her 20s, but still she's, you know, she's young and she hasn't had all the trauma that the, the older adults have lived through. So it was just sort of trying to sort of channel what that felt like then. And she's, she's trying to make sense of the world and she's trying to make sense of the, the weird adults around her mm -hmm. um, and just you know, how she's going. So to me, they were all very clear people and defining the voice or clarifying the voice really was just a question of, you know, doing multiple revisions and realizing that I needed to get the voices as I heard them in my head, right on the page. Because to me, they're very distinct people. And, but yeah, of course, yeah, the first couple of drafts, they all sounded alike, they all spoke alike. So I had to just sort of, I had to listen to them and I had to read my own writing carefully to make sure that their voices were coming through correctly. Yeah, and distinct to each other, from each other. And that's a unique answer because most people say, I don't write people I know, or, you know, but you, you totally turn that on its head because when they are, are all sprung from your own brain, your brain. So yeah. they are, they all are a part of- They're us. all a part of me, yeah. 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 Even even the you know the villain in the book, um, it's it's all just a question of choices you make, and you know ideally with a villain, I mean unless you are writing a sociopath, um, you have people who are you you understand their motivations, and you know maybe I'm not saying that I've ever been there, but you've been at the point where you sort of wished you could harm somebody in a certain way, and you're that angry. And because you're, you know, a sane, responsible, ideally kind adult, you don't do it. But if you can just sort of go back and remember what that feeling was, that just that wanting to lash out, like, you know, you felt left out, you felt hurt and you just wanted to lash out. So you go back to that and you think, oh, okay, that's, you know, if I was the sort of person who, who would do that, if, you know, it, it's just, you know, the, the road not taken, then, then that's the villain too. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, we've all had moments of rage you know, yeah. rational or irrational, depending on the situation we've been exactly. in. Exactly. You could, you know, use your imagination and turn that into, you're never able to shut that off or you can only, you can only turn it down to a slow boil. <laughs> you can't never turn it off. Some people are just mad all the time, you know, I've noticed. Yeah. But what if you'd acted on that? You know, that's, yeah. that's the question. Just what if you'd acted on that? Yeah. Well, hey, you know, life would be different. Yeah. That's a cool, all these answers are just so Thank you. fun and interesting, thought provoking. So hopefully everyone will uh, think fill this. I'm sure they will. So fifth question, um, I always ask something kind of weird and random, and I give you guys a good choice of which ones. And no one has asked to answer this one in over 35 shows so far. So would you rather be in a room full of snakes or a room full of spiders? Oh, I love that one. And I love that one because for me, it's clear. One, 
I hate spiders. I know they're beneficial. The the truth, the truth I, I have made with them is that if they're in the basement, I go away. <laughs> if they're in the house, that spider, you know, maybe if it's very small, you know, I'll try to get it up on a piece of paper and get it outside. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, you know, that spider must die. Oh yeah. Know? Same. So yeah. But one of my dreams when I was a little girl was I wanted to be a herpetologist. Oh. <laughs> I wanted to study uh, reptiles and amphibians. Wow. I had pet lizards and I had a pet toad named Dwight who lived for several years in a terrarium. And he became so used to me, he would, he would sort of hunker down in the palm of my hand where it's warm for the warmth. So I, I was never a huge snake person, but I kind of like snakes. I mean, I prefer things with legs, but yes, I would much prefer to be in a room full of snakes than okay. a room full of spiders. That's a surprising answer as, as, as all these have been. <laughs> well, you could not have known that I was going to, that I wish to be a herpetologist, but yes. No, well, that's really cool. That's really, it's kind of a far, far swing from writing, you know, I know science-based and all that. And actually the reason that I didn't want to, well, partly yes, yeah, science-based science is not my strong point, <laughs> but also it's like when I got to, I don't know, junior high school or high school, when you start dissecting things, I was like, I didn't want to dissect that little froggy. It's cute. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to do any of that stuff. Yeah, I, I, I dreaded the like I just dreaded the science part of my day and the math part of my day. Oh like, my god, yes! Don't get me started on math. Oh yeah, <laughs> just grit my teeth and get through it and get do good. So when I when I went off to college, I had like advanced. I already had college credit for English and writing and all that. And um, like my sophomore year, my professor told me I was ready to write a novel at that age. I was nineteen, and uh, so I was like that. I was like, okay, I'm walking in like all proud. And then, but I had to go take like remedial <laughs> math, like <laughs> math for non math speaking people so I had to go in there and like just suffer through like one semester and I could I could say I did math in college and that was all I all I had to do and they don't make you take science if you don't want to there so but you do have to do some kind of math <laughs> like, can, now now it's safe and by the way I'm I'm so I, I'm so glad and and frankly envious that you had a professor who told you you could write a novel because because that that is the kind of validation that young writers need you know yeah. that's so wonderful but in, in terms of the math I, yeah, I did the same thing. It's like, you know, I took the physics for poets class or whatever it was, but I, I was in a band in college and the drummer in my band um, was a, a teaching assistant in the, this one computer course I took because it was like, okay, I, this is going to be like, I think I had to take like three science courses. I'm going to take this because it's basic and, you know, yeah. and I could not get my final project to work. And, you know, we were there, it was like Christmas vacation had already started and we were there and he was the, he was tutoring me and he was the TA on the course. And finally, and, you know, they could revoke both our diplomas for me saying this. He finally said, damn it, Clea. And he logged onto my system and he made a little switch and the program worked. You know, it, it wasn't beautiful, but it was enough so I could, and I was taking the course pass fail. So he did it, so, he did enough so I could take the course to pass. I still have nightmares about that. I really <laughs> do. And it's like, thank you. I won't even say his name because he'll get in trouble. But yeah, I mean, it was totally what he was not supposed to do. Yeah, but it was like, name. we okay. were going to be there New Year's, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I can't make it work. <laughs> yeah. Well, my thing I would do is, um, all the guys you know that I knew on my because I had a co-ed dorm so there, there was a quad full of guys that were just my friend you know my buddies sort of these I used to work at a restaurant and they would come in and hang out and they were all computer guys like we're all doing computer science and math things and whatever so I didn't have to take any of the classes so I didn't need any of their help but they could not write you know a sentence to save their lives so they would say hey can you help me with this 
paper I need to write or something. But I said, I would never write a paper for anyone. I won't, I won't do that, but I'll make what you wrote sound good. And they would, you know, they would, they would, pay, they would pay me, which was good because I was paying my way through school. So, you know, for a paper, it may be 50 bucks. And, I, and like I said, I never wrote a paper for anyone, but I would just say, you know, these definitely use some grammar here. Like, you know, maybe this should sound like this. And so I was editing long. You were long. editing. Yeah, you were editing and teaching them how to write really too. So, you know, editing and tutoring. Yeah, making it sound good. You know, just all well, that's all this reshaping your words into something that sounds presentable. And um, anyone I ever helped that never got anything below a B on a paper. So I guess, you know, but it was a service I was offering, which I didn't really know, but I, it wasn't cheating. It was definitely just helping. Definitely you were helping them. Yeah. You were, you were teaching them how to write. You were teaching them what, you know, their teacher should have been teaching them, but yeah, but at least yeah. they got it from you. So yeah. Yeah. So that was fun, but I also needed the cash. So it was good. <laughs> That's good too. I always needed cash back then for sure. Um, so I always do a little fun little quiz and you'd be surprised to get some, I've learned so many things about people through this little silly thing I've thought of and I don't know I never let it go because it's so fun okay number one beach or mountains beach no yeah beach or, I, Cape Cod beach. every summer um, and and beach on there's a we go up to Cape Ann yeah I mean I if if I can't get into the ocean you know I'll dry up and die yeah I love the ocean too Cape Cod that's cool mm -hmm. well my best friend has a family house there and I have not been invited yet I mean she keeps saying oh. where you go I'm like I would love to go to that you have to get invited yes I'm gonna I'm going next year I'm gonna make it happen Cake or pie? This is hard because we're coming in hard on Thanksgiving and I'm planning pies. Um, but I think if push came to shove, a chocolate layer cake. Mm, good choice, good choice. I have a very unscientific poll in my mind. I think people that live up north of Mason Dixon like prefer cake and Southern people prefer pie. That might just be like in my own brain. Well, you know, it's like right now I've been looking up different recipes. I think to, we're going to my brother-in-law's house. Thank God, you know, again. So I think I'm going to do a chocolate bourbon pecan pie oh, for them. I've made that before. I've made that before. I can send you a recipe. It's good. Do. Oh, do, it's a, it's I've been a, looking at different recipes. And I, yeah, I mean, they're going to have a million people and a million pies, but yeah. Well, that's because you want to do the standout one, the one that everyone's like, oh, you want to do the standout one. And also you want to do the one that you want to taste, but you don't necessarily want to have the whole pie in the house because I will eat it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't go wrong with bourbon and yeah. pecan. I mean, it's just, you can yeah. just throw all that in a bowl and it's going to be great. And I'll probably do a pumpkin pie too, because they're easy and I love them. I love the custard, oh, yeah. pumpkin custard. Yeah. Yeah. I like, um, I do pumpkin cheesecake sometimes because it's just oh. a little different. Oh, that's, yeah. usually, that's a crowd pleaser. So. And it also doesn't compete with the, with your like your cousin who thinks that's like her thing. She does pumpkin pie. You know, I don't want to compete with your pumpkin pie because you know that's your thing. I don't want to step on your toes, even though I'm a professional caterer. So anyway, not anymore. <laughs> Are you a morning person or night owl? Oh, night owl. Not not even a question. Really? I mean, yeah. Well, the rock and roll thing. Yeah. And even when I was when I was at the Globe, I worked on on the night desk. I oh. worked uh, four to midnight basically. So when do you write? We're a morning paper. So, yeah. you know, um, stories would come in during the day, we'd edit them. Uh, first edition went to print at 10.30. Uh, sometimes we did a second edition, I think it was 11.30. And then uh, third edition uh, would be 1.15. So one person would always stay till one, just to make sure, you know, in case war broke out or something. Um, and, you know, and, and then the paper went to print and was out in the morning. Wow, cool. So when do you write? You write in the night, in nighttime, or I write it late in the day. Um, I still do a lot of uh, journalism and freelance editing. Uh, you know, to pay the bills. 
and that if I don't do that stuff first, it kind of preys on me. You know, I, I just can't get it out of my mind. So I do that, you know, during the day. And then at at three or four, I, you know, I, I take a break, go for a walk if I can. Um, and, and then I sit down to do my, my words, you know, I get done eight or nine. Wow. Wow. Well, you're very, well, that's good to get the, uh, the, the paid, the paid work. I mean, it's all paid work. I have to, otherwise I can't concentrate. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. It's funny that you say to pay the bills, <laughs> you have to be written 29 books. So this is good for authors to be. Yeah. That, that's the reality though. Yeah. I am what they politely call a mid-list author. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. And that's the thing that everyone needs to, you know, realize. It's just, it's not, you know, not everyone is Stephen King. No, it would be great if we were. Um, dogs or cats? Sorry, cats. <laughs> well, that's pretty kitty who just settled down. Hello, hello. I heard you come in. She's being very good. She's not jumping up on the desk. <laughs> and that's sort of a does since you write a cat series. <laughs> yes. It was like sorry. I can't stand cats. Even though I write about them all the time and I have one. <laughs> well, that's it just it's like a morning or night person, you know? It's it's just it's just an innate difference. And to I me that's yeah. Well, one thing it, in the feline mystique I wrote about this, I said having a dog is in many ways like having a child. I mean, you talked about your new puppy being like your new baby. Having a cat is like having an adult roommate <laughs> from a different culture. <laughs> <laughs> That's Parlez-vous chat? <laughs> She's looking up at me. She goes, I, I don't speak French, mommy. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, cats are always like, they always look mildly like pissed off when you walk in. Like, what are you, what are you doing here? You know, why, Hello. why are you disrupting my nap time with your walking yeah. around, you know? Um, we had cats when I was growing up, when, but they I lived in South Florida. So everyone has cats outside because that's just what it is. And we, I didn't know, I didn't understand like inside cats were like, <laughs> were like a good thing. Then I would visit my, I moved north and I visit my friends that have inside cats and, uh, you know, they have the, it, the, the litter boxes and things. And that was to all so, like new to me, like all very foreign, you know, cause it's like our cats were always, they came in to eat and then they hung out in the backyard and like in the hammock all day and in the sun. And that's what, that's how we lived. And I mean, if there was like a big storm coming they would come in and stuff like, but they, they're really, and they never really left the yard. They were just always right there. So anyway, it was, that's how I grew up, but dogs. Yeah. I'm a dog. I have dogs. If you dog. want, I'll lift up Thisbe so you can get a picture of her. Yes. When we're finished this, okay. we'll take some screenshots and we can put them on Instagram. Okay. And that'll be that'll hilarious. Be and we can do Dino and, and Thisbe together. Yes. The dog, dog versus cat photo. Um, all right. Last one. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Good. So I, we I have live for coffee. Yeah. What? We got one in common. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> coffee. <laughs> so how much coffee drink a day? Well, sadly, I now, you know, this is the joys of getting older. I seem to be developing a sensitivity toward it. So I have to be careful about how much I drink. I mean, it used to be endless. I drank, I, I made coffee and drank coffee as a way to, you know, to avoid work. But now it's, you know, it's my one, you know, beloved, precious mug. It's like gold. <laughs> More than that, my body lets me know it's not good. Yeah, yeah, we start to start to get turned off by things. So I can't do yeah. dairy anymore. I, and I, I realized I couldn't have dairy like many years ago, like 10 or something. And for some weird reason, recently, I was like, I'll, I'll just have yogurt in the morning. That's cool. I don't know. I'll just have that because I changed up my routine and the kid went back to school and we're getting up super early. And I was like, I had to have something before I go to the gym. And then I'm thinking, I'm like, why do I feel terrible? <laughs> I feel so yeah. bad. Like, I just feel awful. I'm like, what's the matter? I'm running and working out, you know? And I'm like, oh, it's 
goddamn yogurt. I, I actually, I, I had that experience with the coffee. I started upping the coffee and thinking, oh, this is fine. This is fine. It's like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> like, do I have a tumor? Am I dying? You know, <laughs> do I have colon cancer? But like, no, no, it's uh, lactose intolerant. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm looking, I'm, you know, because you get, if you're like me, you turn into a psycho about it and you start Googling every single thing that could possibly be wrong with you. I totally, yes. <laughs> and it's like, oh, milk. I'm like, oh, oh my God. Why yeah. am I so dumb? I knew I couldn't have it. And then I just said, maybe, maybe my body has completely changed the last 10 years. Maybe I've healed. Yeah. yeah. No, no, still hate it. Yeah. I do. I, I, I love it, but it does not love me. That's the problem. So, well, thank you so much for your, um, your wisdom and your Thanks time. Thanks for having me. Oh my God. You're so fun. Well, you have to come back next book. You'll come back and you'll just be like a regular guest. You'll be like, um, be like my Johnny Carson. <laughs> so, um, what's coming up next for you? We've got the hold me down just came out. Is it out now or out recently? It is out now. Cool. Um, and yeah, I've got a couple of projects, uh, floating around. So nothing definite yet, but except that you will see more of me. Oh, well, I don't doubt that once whatsoever. I mean, you're, you. you're out there and you'll see me at malice. Yay! Yay! For those new listeners, Malice Domestic is a convention that happens in the Washington, D.C. area in the spring. Um, every year, we've missed two years, but we're very happy to say that we're going to be there in this, this coming spring in 2022. Um, if you're listening to this five years from now, this won't be very relevant. <laughs> That's what we're doing now. And it's just the fact that we haven't seen people in a really long time. It'll be really fun. And um, yeah, I've been on the organizing committee for about almost 20 years so that's insane i haven't done anything for 20 years i've been married for 20 years i haven't lived i've lived in maryland for 20 years but that's the only other thing i've ever done that long in my life so <laughs> it's a big deal for me <laughs> so well thank you again um i love you i think you're wonderful i love all your thank books you. i love you you're too awesome. I, I i hope we can work together in the future <gasps> oh my we god talked about why that hasn't yet happened yet <laughs> oh my god more rock star stuff all right. Well, have a good rest of the day. Thank you. You as well. Okay.